Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Hello and welcome to Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Got two rounds left in the 2026 Nations. England remain firmly in the hunt for the title, heading into Saturday's clash with their old rivals Wales. After a week off, Eddie Jones now got more options available to him because Mako, Vonipola and Anthony Watson have both recalled to the squad. And as for Wales, well, it's been a tournament to forget so far for Wayne Pivak in his first six Nations. A defeat on Saturday would mean three successive losses and that would be the first time since 2007 that's happened to Wales we'll speak to the Ospreys fly half James Hook about the difficult task that awaits Pivac and Co on Saturday only be two matches this weekend after Ireland's clash with Italy in Dublin was called off due to concerns over the coronavirus the Irish health minister Simon Harris ruled the game should be postponed given the spread of the virus in Italy which now sits at around 1600 cases We'll speak to Liam Toland of the Irish Times about when a rematch is likely to take place and uh, what the reaction has been from the IRFU to having the fixture called off. Scotland picked their first win-up of the tournament. It was round three away win against Italy. Up next for Gregor Townsend is a home match against the leaders France and ahead of the game. It's emerged that the exile fly-half Finn Russell will not be returning for the final two games, so they're not kissed and made up. But he could return in the summer to win his 50th cap. The former back row of Dave Denton, he's been around the Scotland squad with both Townsend and Russell, and he'll join us to chat about their relationship and the game that Scotland have this weekend. Off the pitch, the major headlines surround the television rights for the Six Nations tournament. It's been reported that Sky are leading the race to take the rights off free-to-air TV, meaning the Six Nations will be behind a plane wall for the first time in its history from 2021. We'll be answering all your questions on that and a few other topics. And I'm delighted to say to help me once again is the former England hooker, George Shooter. Hello, George. Hello, Maura. Two games left for England. Um, how have you made their Six Nations so far? Well, I, mean, I, th- I think uh, 
obviously the, the opening game against the French was was a pretty poor display uh, in Paris. Well, first half, certainly. Yeah, yeah, certainly first half. Um, and yeah, no, no disrespect to the French, but I think England really sort of got caught cold there, uh, given all the sort of build up in the week. But the French have now got on the show that, that wasn't a fluke. They they are they are the real deal. So uh, the Scotland actually quite enjoyed the Scotland game. It was a bit of a slog up front with the weather and a bit of an arm wrestle. You would do, Cooper uh, Lester. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. John all loved it as well, you know. I'm from South London. I'm from South London. <laughs> Uh, but actually, and uh, although, although the performance in Murrayfield wasn't great, a, a win up there is is, is good. I mean, that's, that's not uh, it's not joke. Put sort of uh, beat around the bush. Um, the first half against Ireland last week again, uh, pretty pretty good. Would like to probably see a bit more clinical finishing and actually uh, pull away from Ireland in the end. And the second half is a bit sort of scrappy. So I, I guess sort of a C plus really for for the first three games in, in terms of England's performance. So obviously two wins out of three, losing in Paris is, is no is no disgrace there. It's, that happens, but I think there's certainly issues uh, around the attack, in particular the attack and some of the kicking game. Uh, I think the defence has been outstanding, probably the, the best I've seen for a very long time from from almost any international team, I think. Um, they look very strong. They look, they look very organised, real good line speed. Uh, not many missed tackles from individuals either. So the defensive side, that's you know, a big check. That's a, that's an A+. Plus for a lot Mitchell. of dominant tackles as well. Yeah, absolutely, it? absolutely. Um, and especially given the sort of the, the imbalance in the back row, I guess having a 7-8 it would make your defence pretty good anyway. But um, yeah, so I think from a defensive point of view, Flying high attack and some of the kick in from hand, uh, not quite up to that level yet. Well, uh, Watson and Mako Vanipola, uh, they're back available. Do you expect them to start? I, I think, I think, um, Watson, perhaps not. I think the, the, the again, we're trying to sort of uh, read Eddie's mind here in terms of his selection. He, he could end up playing the back row with uh, Anthony Watson. <laughs> um, I, I mean, Vunipola, I think Ellis Genge has, has earned a start somewhere on the line. And, uh, well, I think he probably earned that in, in the first couple of games. So I think he's got to, he's got to play in my eyes. Do they, then do you put Marla or, or Vunipola on the bench? I don't know. I suspect... Um, he'll, he'll come back in straight away because he was away for family reasons I believe wasn't he so it's not as if he's been injured or, or anything like that so he is good to go I think they'll go go back with Mark, Mako Vinipola and I think Watson may be on the bench but like I say I, I'm, I'm not I've, I've given up trying to read Eddie Jones' mind regarding selection Well another point uh, try and read into this for the first time opting for the third scrum half <laughs> this, is, yeah. this is just in the extended squad though yeah. is Jack Maunder. Um why do you think he's picked him more than um, a bit more established from half. I'm not uh, with, a, with a greatest respect to Jack Maud, he's yeah. a good player. I, I think this is probably a bit of a nod to the next World Cup, a bit of development, getting getting people involved slowly but surely, who are, who are likely to be in around the squad in, in four years' time. Uh, Willie, Willie Hines, probably not. He's 34 years old. Will he be uh, Will he be an international scum half in four years? Unlikely. Ben Young's 31 years old, I think. Uh, similar questions around him. His form's not been great of late. Uh, so I think this is probably a little bit of a little bit of a kick out the backside for those two to make sure there's no complacency, but also uh, having, a, having, a, having an early look at um, a, a potential future scrum half. And I think there's actually scrum half. There's uh, Mitchell at Saints, I think is another option. Um, there's a couple of good young ones who, who certainly could be coming into their prime in four years' time. So I think it's probably a little bit of a nod to that. What have you made of the 6-2, six forwards and two backs? Love it. Split on the <laughs> Split on the back. I mean, there's an argument, but certainly given the weather and the way that the Six Nations tournament, the attritional nature of it, that it's actually more effective in this tournament mm. than, say, 
a summer tour or, 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 or the World Cup. Yeah, I, mean, I, I, don't, I don't have a massive problem with it. I'm uh, joking aside. Um, I think uh, the attritional nature of the Six Nations, as you have alluded to there, particularly against the, the top teams like Ireland and Wales at, at Twickenham, um, actually having an extra extra forward on the bench is a, is a bonus. Uh, in 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 desperation, you could probably stick one of the two of the back rows on on the wing because you know, they're athletic enough to do a job, not necessarily uh, be be international standard. But on the flip side, of that, if you if you lose a back row, then you're putting a, a back in the back row or you know, forcing the second row into the back row. That, and that really upsets your game a lot more than with no disrespect to wingers. It's a slightly easier job to stand on the wing and and make tackles if you're an athlete than it is to go and, and do sort of the rucking of the morning. Well, I mean, the, the luxury England have got is that so many of their backs have played in. You know, two or three positions that you can you can sort that without yeah. too much yeah. disruption. Also, I think it's probably a bit of bit of injury. If if guys aren't hundred percent, and um, I don't know what the injury status is of some of the back five members of the of the team of the squad at the moment. Perhaps it is a bit more precautionary in that respect. Uh, yeah, tactically, I can see as as you mentioned there the tactics. I can see the, the reasoning behind it. There, there also maybe some other underlying reasons. Uh, yeah, I don't know if they've got enough fit backs to put put three or four on the bench. So maybe that's another point. Um, yeah, like I said, I don't have a point. I don't have a problem with it. I think. I think you can. It's it's not too much to expect. Uh, I don't know nine nine to fifteen playing eighty minutes uh, if necessary. I, I think it's slightly different up front these days. Well, next up for England is Wales at home. Um, Going to be a difficult game for Wales. Why don't we speak to James Hook, the uh, Ospreys fly half and former Welsh fly half, who's joining us now? Hello, James. Are you boys? You okay? Yeah, not bad, mate. Yeah, Look, um, Wayne Pivak has not been helped by the number of injuries. Dan Bigger is the uh, latest setback. Uh, Rhys Patchell, Owen Williams, Gareth Hanscom. Um, uh, have you had a call? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, my, my phone's on mine. But, um, <laughs> I mean, the thing is, I, I don't care who you are, you, you can't really cope with three or four first choice in any position going down, can you? No, it is tough, and uh, like you say, in particular at, at outside half, where you know you got the experience of Dan Bigger and Reese Patchell, who played so well in the World Cup, uh, and obviously Gareth Hanscom didn't quite make the World Cup. They are sort of three top fly halves, and um, they all look to be to be out injured. You know, certainly for this weekend. So yeah, it is, it is tough, but um, yeah, I suppose you know there's an opportunity there if Dan Bigger isn't fit for for the likes of, of Jared Evans, perhaps. Um, Josh Adams, another injury out for the rest of the tournament with an ankle injury. Um, how how big a blow is that, and who do you think is likely to come in for him? Uh, oh, it's a huge blow. It's a huge blow. Again, talking about the World Cup, he's Wales' best player and, and started the Six Nations, you know, in that sort of rich twice-scoring form. And um, yeah, we, we're going to miss him. But I think you know it's a perfect opportunity for um, Louis Rissamit, who's played, been playing so well for Gloucester. I think you know it's time to sort of put him in there. You know, he's he's proven week in week out for for Gloucester. That, he can do a job and I'd, I'd love to see him and I know a lot of Welsh fans would like to see it as well. Uh, hooky, it's uh, George Shooter here, mate. Hey, George, right? Mate? Yeah, good, mate, good. Uh, listen, um, uh, without wishing to uh, 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 jinx it all, uh, the Welsh haven't lost uh, three games in a row, three successive losses since 2007 uh, and it didn't happen at all under Warren Gatland. Um, so it, the, the, I suppose the question is, Wayne Pivak, how much how much leeway does he get? How much time does he get? Um, obviously following on from Warren Gatland, very, very tough job. How much, how much, uh, how many, how many losses can they take, for example? Yeah, well, he's got to have a bit of time, you know, he's, he's a new coach and, He's a quality coach, you know. That's the reason he's got the job, and it was always going to be a big boost to fill, you know, uh, mm. filling from Warren Gatlin and, and Sean Edwards, you know, without forgetting him, you know, he's, yeah. he's a big loss for Wales, 
Um, but yeah, he needs time, and uh, you know he's got the players there. He's trying to play a sort of different, more expansive style of uh, style of play. So yes, it's frustrating because you know we had a great start against Italy. Everybody was getting really excited, and against yeah. Ireland, you know we had our chances. You know, it was fine margins again against France. We had our chances to win the game. So we're not we're not a million miles away, but uh, yeah, you know those wins have turned into losses, and you know it's not going to be an easy test going to Twickenham now on Saturday either. Mm. Alan Wynne Jones, hundred forty seventh. Cap, only McCaw's got more, 148. I mean, you you knew him well. Yeah. How long can he go I, on? <laughs> I don't know. He just he just does. And there's not enough sort of superlative for him. You know, he's he's an incredible athlete. Um, like, like you say, how he keeps going and keeps motivated week in, week out, you know, and we just sort of see, you know, what goes on on, on, the, on the weekend on the pitch. But he's exactly like that, you know, on a Monday morning, whether, whether you win or lose. He's got that motivation, and uh, yeah, you know he's he's great for Wales, and has been for many many years. So long may it continue. If they are going to win at Twickenham, what do they have to do? Um, I think we have to take our opportunities. There aren't going to be many opportunities there, and you know we've been there a couple of times as underdogs, and, and one you know we look back, and it was a long time ago. Now two thousand and eight, nobody gave Wales a hope. Um, you know we had a terrible first half, and then turned it round somehow. So. I think, you know, Wales are clearly going there as underdogs. Um, and, and we've got the talent there. Like, I go back to the last couple of games Wales have played against Ireland and France. We've created opportunities. So um, I think we've just got to take every single one of them if, if we're going to win, I've got to be honest. Yeah. Um, and on a, on a personal level, you're uh, you're entering, well, you're in the final season of your career. You, you've got, um, I don't know how many more games left uh, in the Ospreys jersey. Uh, how are you feeling uh, about, uh, about the future and, and about retirement? And, and what have you got lined up? Yeah, no, I, I think I'm ready for it to come to the end of my contract with the Ospreys. Uh, you know, I'm 35 in June, so, you know, yeah, I can't, I can't yeah. go on forever. I've, you know, I've enjoyed my career. Um, but, yeah, I, I'm enjoying doing a bit of coaching with the young boys uh, in the Ospreys and the academy and things. So, you know, I want to carry on and stay involved with the games. You know, pretty much all I've, all I've known for, for the last sort of, 16 years. So, you know, it would be a shame to sort of leave that behind. Um, and, yeah, I'm looking forward to it. I'm excited about it and just feel ready, you know, and, and it's time to finish now. Nice. Well, James, I'm, I'm sure we'll speak to you before the end of the season. Uh, well, let's hope so. If, if we don't, for some, you know, aberrant reason, um, you know, best of luck in everything. You've had a fantastic career. You've left a great, uh, a great legacy. Uh, thanks very much, boys, and great to speak to you as always. Cheers, mate. Take care, mate. Hello. Sorry to interrupt your podcast. I just wanted to take a quick moment to tell you about another programme from The Telegraph. I'm Ben Riley-Smith the Daily Telegraph's US editor, and I've spent the last year exploring the scandal over links between Donald Trump and Russia for my new podcast, Crossfire. What I found was an extraordinary untold story that kept coming back to Britain. The big gorilla in the room was, would Trump want to meet Putin? Would Putin then meet Trump? And he said, uh, and in any case, the Russians might use some material that they have on Clinton. This is dangerous. This is really dangerous. I've been tracking down those directly involved, from Washington to Cambridge to Belgravia, to try and find out what really happened and what it can tell us about this year's election. So we're looking at the backdrop of Russia. We're looking at what they might be trying to do for our elections. Over six episodes, I will unpack it all, chunk by chunk, through the voices of those with direct knowledge. Most people didn't even want to talk to me. 
I'm a guy getting death threats. I'm a guy whose life has been totally turned upside down. I will tell you this, whoever it was, I hope they get punished for it. That's in Crossfire, available now wherever you downloaded this podcast. Well, Ireland's clash with Italy this weekend has been called off due to concerns over the coronavirus. Um, let's speak to um, Liam Toland, the Irish Times, uh, about this. He's, he's joining us now. Hello, Liam. How are you, Brian? Yeah, I'm not bad, mate. Um, I don't suppose there's a lot you can do when a government minister says it's off, but what's the reaction of the uh, Rugby Public and uh, the IRFU being to all this? Well, I suppose the public in general is pretty well informed and um, kind of reacting to the leadership, both of the IRFU and the, the government. Uh, there was a little bit of a of a breakdown of communications, possibly between the IRFU directly and the government itself, when the Minister for Health uh, suggested that the fixture against Italy should be at least re rethought out and and uh, and maybe cancelled. So that brought a little bit of indecision. We didn't know for sure what was going on, but I think we weren't expecting any more positive than that in a sense. And then the RFU clarified it within 24 hours. So we kind of are where we are. And unfortunately, the coronavirus doesn't just impact the Six Nations. And like we needed to get back up on the horse, didn't we, after the England uh, um, performance in Twickenham? Uh, so from that point of view, the timing is terrible. Um, but also into our domestic game in the Guinness. The Guinness Pro, it has an impact on how the table is functioning and particularly with Connacht, I've got a couple of games uh, in rounds 14 and 15 coming up in Italy. So it has an impact in our domestic game, but it also has a, a very strong domestic uh, impact in our, in our senior squad. And 35 of the Irish team or the Irish squad are currently training at the moment. Um, so we're not 100% sure will the French game go ahead. Well, that, I mean, that's an interesting thing because if that if that doesn't go ahead, you know, these fixtures are backing up presumably they'll play them at some point. But given the nature of the season and how full it is, you know, any idea when that might be? I, I don't. I don't, actually. But it, it, I suppose the first thing is it doesn't in, just just doesn't impact our international game. It has a knock-on effect to Europe and to our own domestic game. So it's not like just one competition's been impacted. It's like there's definitely going to be three competitions. So I don't have the, uh, the the crystal ball in front of me, Brian, I'm afraid. And I'm not 100% sure when these will be. Certainly the French game, I would be very surprised if it goes ahead. That's my only personal opinion. I have my flights and hotel booked, so I'd be disappointed. Um, and of course, there's the other underlying issue of the Italians, for example. Lots of them will probably still travel to Dublin anyway. So it's a kind of, there won't be amalgamating in the stadium, but there'll be amalgamating in the in the bars and hostelries <laughs> around around Dublin. So it's a kind of a funny one, isn't it? But certainly I don't have an answer to that, the bigger question, when are these fixtures going to be replayed? Um, and, or will it just be uh, given your classic nil-all draw and two points each, which would be devastating for all concerned. Mm. Uh, Liam, uh, George Judy here, mate. How are you? Good, good, George. Um, just, just interesting. You, know, you mentioned the the, uh, the Italians are still coming over. What would the financial damage to the IRFU uh, be? Do you reckon as as a, as a result of a, a cancelled fixture? Uh, multiple millions, anyways. Short answer, um, and I'm sure the devil is in the detail where insurance and all that kicks in. I'm not privy to that type of detail myself, but I assume, like any sports fixture, when it, when there's a cancellation, be it weather or God impact or whatever the case may be, there are some form of insurance. I don't know the answer to that, but each fixture is worth multiple millions to Dublin, and certainly worth an awful lot to the IRFU as well. Um, 
we've seen the the, the shot across the bow of uh, of pay per view wall coming into the Six Nations. So I suppose it's a timely reminder how fickle uh, professional rugby can be and how vulnerable we are to these these little um, setbacks. I mean, the French game were to go ahead and France were to win, the Italy game would have nothing at all riding on it. Would you see either team wanting to play, the supporters or, 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 or what? Well, see, we're in a funny place, Brian. I think England proved a couple of weeks ago how much further down the track they are. We're still in the very much the rebuilding from Rugby World Cup 19. And personally, on a selfish Note: There's an awful lot of players, real quality young players that may not have petered name-wise into your into your view at this stage. But I'd be very excited. That's why Italy is such an important fixture for us because I think it will give Andy Farrell an opportunity to to maybe to rest or whatever the euphemism is, but maybe not pick certain players and allow others. Uh, we had I don't know did you see Leinster play last Friday night? But a guy called Ryan Bard. He's 20 years of age, <laughs> yeah. second fixture in the second row uh, for Leinster, and he scored three tries. He was absolutely phenomenal. So you'd love the Italian game to come along to allow, whether it's before France or afterwards, ideally before, obviously it's not going to happen, but the reason for that is to kind of just flush out the, the negativity of Twickenham. That's not going to happen, but it would be a terrible loss to, to these younger guys, Will Connors uh, as an open side. There's a lot of really, really good talented players coming through that the Italian game would give them a chance. Without it, then you're into the summer tour and uh, that's big time stuff as well. So the Italian game becomes very, very important for a multitude of reasons, not necessarily looking back in the history of the Six Nations Championship, but um, had we beaten Italy, us, us Ireland winning the championship was still alive. So that's another thing that's been lost by all of this. Uh, when I spoke to Shane Byrne about uh, this last week, he was very firmly of the opinion that changes should be made you know, for some of the youngsters, but that they should not um, be announced or masked by saying rest uh, rotation. It should be no, you're in, because that would send a signal to the underperforming experienced players. What's your view on that? I, I think any time there's a selection, like if you were one of these young guys and uh, I can't remember, I, do you recall when you got your first nod, but when you get your first run out, whatever level you're playing at, ideally you want, if you're in the back row, for example, you want a couple of seasoned other back rowers with you. If in the front row, you want like you're a good scrummaging, loose head and tight head if you're starting at hooker. And there are a lot of that potential there. Where, for, for example, there's a very, very exciting uh, hooker, uh, Kelleher, who's relatively young guy coming out of Leinster. He would be ideally suited to play against Italy and to springboard then on into playing against France. But in order for him to perform at his best, you want the best around him as well. So I think Shane is right in, in not over-diluting the side. And certainly... Uh, giving people, um, and it's it's really down to how Andy Farrell sells the the selection. But it's 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 hugely important that when a guy gets the the, the cap or his first breakthrough, that he's not doing so as an also ran for a lesser fixture that he's earned it. And if you look at a lot of these Leinster players and some in Munster and Ulster and Connacht who will get the opportunity, in most cases they've earned it. So it's about selling that concept and not over diluting the starting fifteen. Well, Liam, let's just hope it's only uh, one game because uh, I'm supposed to be going to Paris as well and I would like to go and see that game. Mate, thank you very much for taking the time to uh, join us today. No problem, Brian. Take care. Bye-bye. Anything ever happened like this with you? I think, I think the foot and mouth was... Um, 
2001. Might have been in yours, was it? Yeah, I, I was just trying to think off air, actually. In fact, on the way in, I was, I was trying to think back. And I can remember only one game uh, of mine being being cancelled on the day. Of, and that was the night uh, Princess Diana died. So we were, I was at Saracens at the time, was it 97? Um, we were due to play... Uh, Richmond at, at Watford at Vicarage Road on on the Sunday. Um, woke up in the morning. The radios were all playing this sort of sorrowful music, and uh, it turned out this this had happened. And we all went to the ground, and um, it was called off by about midday. I don't think there was any there were any fixtures played that day actually if, in football either. So. Um, in terms of in terms of anything like this, nothing. Um, had a game cancelled a couple of years ago for the weather up in Chester for the, for the club I coach in in Hinkley. Uh, but no, I think there's, there's, there's the only two games I've ever been involved in that have been uh, been cancelled, as far as I can remember. I mean, I was going to ask you about the the effect on uh, the players, but it it goes wider than that, doesn't it? It's all the preparation because people have been planning absolutely yeah. just throughout the Six Nations, but also with an eye on doing things later. You know the way that they plan now is not just in this instant tournament, but it, it's uh, you know trying to have some seamless things, even though there's a gap towards the end of the season. So you know, it, quite major, really. Oh, it's absolutely huge, one. I mean, Liam, Liam's sort of hinted at it there with the millions of uh, in and. Uh, in Dublin that are going to be lost. I mean, you've got to think about all the hospitality that goes on there, the before match, during match, after match stuff. People have been booked, ex-players have been booked for speaking gigs and uh, people come in from all over the all over Europe, potentially all over the world for these big European and uh, Six Nations games. So, yeah, this is it's a, it's a massive deal, particularly if that French game gets cancelled as well. I mean, uh, the ramification, I don't, I don't know when you can play two internationals in the, in the rest of the season. Um, I don't know how that affects players' contracts and, you know, international windows and all this sort of business. So, you know, it, it, it's, I mean, thankfully, this is a very unique situation and we have to be very, very conscious that this is not this is more than rugby this is about people's lives and this is a far more serious thing than 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 blokes running around on the field but you know financially and and uh, and in terms of the logistical uh kickback on this this is this is a huge event and the other thing you know france are on the road at the moment they've got momentum they'll be feeling really good who knows which players will be fit later in the season where they'll all be you know they could start one of the games like england have a really bad half and that'd be enough to lose them a game um, so the, you know that's not ideal either. Um, as you say, you, there's not a lot you can do when it's yeah. a, a public health issue. Is that? Um, yeah. I suppose you have to respect uh, that. It just seemed crazy that they're going to let a lot of Irish um, <laughs> lot of bars yeah. include Italians <laughs> if that's the reason for not having the game in the first place. Well, the, the, the theory is actually the alcohol kills the coronavirus. Don't it? So actually, in Dublin, there'll be zero cases this weekend. Well, that'll sure. be the same in the ground, for God's sake. <laughs> Why don't we move on to um, a game that's definitely going to be on, uh, the uh, Scotland uh, game against France. Uh, now, Scotland recorded their first win over the uh, Italians. Um, and, of course, you know France are the form team at the moment. We're going to now get the thoughts of Dave Denton, the former Scotland back rower who's on the line. Hello, Dave. Uh, how are you doing, guys? Not bad, mate. Mm. Um, a win over France would be a... You know, a, a major um, scalp, but what would a what would a another home defeat mean, Dave? Yeah, I, th- I think that's a big thing. Is that Scotland over the last couple of years, or particularly in Gregor's reign, there's there's been a lot of pride around the home record. We've been playing really well at home, uh, and I, I do think they'll be going into this game 
with their tails up a little bit. I think no one's deluding themselves. We got a good win on the weekend, but uh, particularly in attack, we would like to have done better, I expect. I've spoken to a few of the guys. and I, You can take a lot of positives from the fact that we nilled them away in Italy. That can often be a banana skin for us, as we always know that Italy are going to target our game. Um, and, and the defensive effort was very good, so it's good to get the win. But... To beat the French team, we're going to have to be a hell of a lot better. They've been playing some unbelievable rugby. Um, and yeah, first and foremost, I mean, I would say this, but I think that the battle is going to be one up front because they're a big bruising team. There's no doubt they've got a lot of subtlety about them at the moment, but they don't get that if they're not on the front foot. And that's an issue Scotland have struggled with over the last um, couple of years when teams stop us going forward. Uh, it makes a big difference to how our backs can attack. Uh, hi, David. So George Shooter here, mate. Hey, mate. How you doing? Yeah, good. Thanks. Good. Um, I mean, Wales. Wales changed the head coach, Wayne Pivak. Uh, the French brought in um, uh, a new new coaching system. Uh, England, England stays up. Ireland have got Andy Farrell. Um, do you think the Scots missed the trick by actually sticking with Gregor Townsend? Uh, is he going to be around the next four years? Is there uh, is there anyone else? Is there anyone else on on the radar? Do you think? No, I think it would have been a mistake to to change just after that World Cup. Obviously, the World Cup was disappointing for us, but I, I think it's too small a sample size. I think there has been a lot of progression in the team. I think there are areas of the game I think we can improve in. And I, th- I think he's, you can see he started making changes within his own coaching team. And I think that indicates that there might be an element of him realizing, right, we, we need to do things a little bit differently. We need to, fair enough, we're going to play uh, the fastest rugby in the world, or that's that's our ambition. Um, we're going to have these electric backs. We've got potentially two of the best players in the world when they're playing uh, in our back line. Uh, but now we need to get them going forward. And I think uh, all, all the stuff I'm hearing about the defence coach is fantastic. I think he gives the players a lot more um, ability to sort of lead their own defence and how they want to tackle and not prescripting exactly how you have to defend every situation, which is nice to see, particularly in, in modern rugby where it, a lot of it... <laughs> I mean, you, you can get up to four phases prescribed at the moment, which which can become a little bit ridiculous. But it's um, I think they need to stick with him for now. They need stability, um, and he he is a great coach. Uh, but if if things don't start turning around, then you know maybe they start asking those questions. I don't know. Uh, David, the entire campaign has obviously been clouded by the Finn Russell controversy. He said he won't be back for the last two games, but likely to return for the summit. He said that he's had positive talks with Gregor Townsend. Like, you know both these men well. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> I, I don't really know, to be honest. I think, it, I've, again, I've had a lot of conversations with a few people. I haven't spoken to Finn directly, and I, I don't know exactly what's going on at the moment. But, look, I, know, I, think, I think what seemed to have happened is Finn took exception to this, to this rule, and he thought... It was ridiculous. He's a grown man. He should be able to have a third beer if he wants a third beer. Uh, which I, I can see both sides of the argument. I can see what, where Finn's coming from. But then from Gregor's point of view, if there's a rule there, it's a rule. Uh, and, and that's how it works. And then, unfortunately, what happened is when, when it went public, I mean, you just hate to see it. I, I think this could have been handled behind closed doors. And I think Finn went public and I, I think came across quite well in the newspaper in terms of it's not about drinking. It's not about going out and going wild. It's about uh, respect and it's about trust and all these things. And then 
then they have to come back at him. And then it, it just seems, if you're arguing in the press, just he was never going to come back during the Six Nations at that point, was he? Once they started taking the, the public blows at each other, um, I didn't think that was ever going to happen. But no, it, it, seems, it seems that they, well, according to the press, and I haven't spoken to any of the boys since that came out yesterday or the day before, but it's, um, look, that, that's great news for Scottish rugby if they're finding a way past this, because the reality is that Finn is our most important player. He uh, is an argument, maybe argue might be our best player or whatever it is. And Adam Hastings, fair play to him, has done really well. I actually heard one of the boys told me last week that apparently in the game against Italy, Adam beat the most defenders of anybody under Gregor Townsend's uh, spell as a Scotland coach. So he's he is doing really well, but there's no question that Finn is one of the best teams in the world. And we, we don't have enough players for people to be sitting out and not playing a tournament when they're fit to play. And, and there's, there's some uh, reports that Russell might actually drop into the coaches meeting ahead of the uh, game this weekend to share his viewpoint. Obviously playing for Racing 92, he'll know uh, a number of the French players uh, very, very well, in fact. Um, do you think this is this is a good idea? Is this, is this a, a sort of a way to slightly open the door and, uh, or, or, or would you see it uh, descending into a brawl in, in the coach's <laughs> office? <laughs> uh, I, I think you're right. I think it's a little bit of an olive branch on both sides. I think... Uh, how much they use of the, the the insight in the chat, I don't know, but I think it's it's a good starting point for them to show that they respect Finn as a player and as a leader, and for Finn to show that he's willing, he's still willing to help, and he still wants to be involved. There's no question he still wants to play for Scotland. He still wants to play in the biggest tournament in the world after the World Cup in, in the Six Nations, and it he's not going to do that this year. But I think it's important for him to to get back involved on both sides to sort of. Like I said, just to sort of mend those bridges a little bit. Yeah. Uh, just uh, finally, David, what are they going to have to do to, to beat France? I think, mean, like I said, um, I, I'm biased in the sense, but I against any French team, and France haven't been amazing for the last few years, and it's fantastic to see them playing at this level again because everyone loves to watch France when they're when they're playing well. But any French team, they're their game plan is built up front. They are big, bruising men. And if you don't stop them going forward, that's when you get these guys, the interacts and people like that, that are going to rip the game apart. Uh, their 9-10 combination is so strong. It, it can make... If they're on the back foot, it's a lot harder for them to make a difference. Uh, if they're going forward and they've got these big 100-whatever-kg forwards steamrolling over the top of us, then it's, they're going to be a force that's going to need to be reckoned with and it's going to be tough. Uh, but fair play, Greg has picked up, over the last few weeks, he's picked a smaller pack than you'd sometimes expect and they've fronted up physically and you love to see it. And I think if we are going to win, we, we need to beat them up physically. I, I don't want to throw out cliches, but that is the way it works with the French team. If, if they beat you up, you're, you're in a lot of trouble. I firmly agree with that. Whether Scotland can do it, uh, remains to be seen, but uh, it's great to speak to you and thanks very much, David. No problem. Thanks for having me, Cheers, guys. Man. Can you see Scotland doing France? Look, if the weather mm. levels the game, possibly, all things being equal, at the moment, the the 10 points... Yeah, ten points inferior I mean, to me. I, I, I think the French, the French are just far too good at the moment. I, I actually didn't didn't pick them winning in Cardiff. I, I thought I thought the before the before the tournament started, I said England would lose in Paris, but England will win the Six Nations. There will be no Grand Slam. Um, I, I, did, I just 
couldn't couldn't believe that the French could actually travel to to, to Cardiff and win. I think it's just a bridge too far for the Scottish. They, they, they haven't quite got enough firepower up front. The scrums well. They haven't got quite got enough firepower up front to take them on. Uh, and really, sort of outside of Stuart Hogg, I've not seen much of a, a cutting edge in the backs either, to be honest. Time now for your questions. Uh, we'll leave the Six Nations one till ones till the end. Um, this is tangential to that from Neil Taylor. Do the French sell their own TV rights? If so, could they have a say in the tournament broadcast rights also? Could they sell their home game rights to anyone? Well, yes, they do have a separate deal, but there is a law in France similar to the Crown Jewels uh, but it's not on their Category B list and it has to be free to air. So whatever they do, it will be free to air. And no, I don't think they'll have much of an influence in uh, where the uh, Six Nations uh, contract goes, but we'll go on to talk about that a bit later. Um, a question from Dave. One for you, um, George. How easy is it for to jump from club to England and why do some <laughs> players seem to find it easier to get a chance? And he... Lists um, gives an example Furbank versus Dombrandt. Yeah, it actually, it's very, very difficult. Um, again, back in my day, uh, we used to flip between the England camp and the club. We used to on the fallow weekends, we used to come back and play uh, league games or sit on the bench or whatever would be involved. So we weren't away for a, for that extended period. We weren't in camp for that extended period. Uh, nowadays, there's only a few players here and there who, don't, who, who perhaps aren't getting enough game time actually get back and go and play for their clubs. But it is very difficult. You've, you've got to adjust back to. I, know, I mean, obviously, know you, you know your calls from your club. You know your patterns of play from the club because you've been there for the whole season. But actually flitting between the two within sort of four or five days is very tricky. Mentally more than physically, it's it's a big challenge. Um, you know, you, you, depending on how much training you've done, how much how much you've played for England, of course, you're probably not too fatigued to go and play back for your club. But mentally, it's a, it's a big, uh, big lurch. And um, it's it's not... That's probably why they now haven't been camped for the whole period, particularly the first choice, the first team, first sort of 20, 22 players. They don't actually have to worry about uh, switching into club mode for that whole period, which is probably beneficial, very beneficial to England, I would say. A question from Matt Raven. Do the salary cap rules and the emergency... Signing systems need tightening or altering somehow so teams can't lose players mid-season to make the cap. Seems that this is skewing the league this year. Well, Matt, if you get your sums right, you shouldn't need to, should you, frankly? Um, What do you reckon about, I mean, Chris Ashton with immediate effect going Mm. from sale? Where's he going? I've no idea. I've heard Quinns, I've heard uh, various places. But again, the question is, who has money under the cap to, to sign a Chris, Ash, Chris Ashton, who, you know, he's not cheap, I wouldn't have thought. Um, in, in terms of the, the, the uh, your regulations, you're, you're totally correct. You know before the season starts what your what your um, your wage bill should be, uh, your payroll should be. Um, so you shouldn't really need to be jettisoning players mid-season. Mid, mid sort of it does it does affect everything. But the, the, the pure fact that you're over the salary cap anyway skews the league unfor- unfairly. So I think it's a bit of a an odd question. Um, but yeah, Ashton, it's a bit of an odd situation. It's never yeah, totally yeah. Uh, out of the blue and um, without explanation, just uh, off with immediate effect. Yeah. Well, I, I guess we'll probably never know the full ins and outs of that. There must be... 
uh, legal ramifications around it. They're, they're both sides talking about it. I guess we can speculate. Um, you know, maybe there's a falling out between Steve Diamond and Chris Ashton. Uh, wouldn't be the first person oh, that Steve, Steve Diamond's never, out never. With. Yeah. Um, so there could be some of that. It could just be a case of Ashton's not not getting enough rugby. And I had to sit down with him with the coach and said, "Look, uh, can you let me go? I want to play some rugby somewhere." Um, we won't. We don't know. But yeah, if it's if it's salary cap uh, orientated, then yeah, that's uh, uh, someone's someone's obviously got the wrong side of the calculator in pre-season. Uh, Billy uh, Byers, the bottom end of the Prem table, might need a bit of spice, but it's alive and kicking at the top. Uh, is this the closest top four in years? Let me just make a point about the bottom. Everyone said that these games would be terrible <laughs> because Sarri's you know, definitely going down, no one else is. I haven't detected that, have you? Yeah, well, there's not been a lot lack of, lack of intensity. Uh, Saracens went up to Saints at the weekend and, and, and that was, looked like, I saw the highlights, looked like a, f- a fantastic game. Um, there have been a few, uh, I mean, Worcester, Worcester Leicester at the weekend was fairly dour. Um, so some of the teams at the bottom are slogging and, and they, they're at the bottom for the reason that, that, that they're just not as good as everyone else at the moment. Um, yeah, the, the, the top four, I, I would have said it was the t- closest top four for a long time, but then Gloucester lost at home and uh, Northampton lost at home so yeah Exeter look like the best team in the league they're not 100% you know they've, they've creaked and um, lost their games as well uh, it's certainly I think the premiership now now that Saracens are, uh, are relegated for for, for the, well just definitely relegated they're still two they're still the two best teams are Exeter and Saracens and the rest that's probably eight or nine teams are all at a very similar level where they can win at home they can probably beat most other teams but they're, 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 no one's no one's sort of climbing out of the soup just yet and finally, we get on to the subject question from Seamus. Which brain box thinks it's a good idea to put these six nations behind a paywall? What's your view on this? Uh, this um, I'm firmly behind this being free to uh, view it. I, 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 grew up, I didn't grow up watching rugby. Uh, I, was, I was relatively late to the game. I started playing it when I was 12 years old. Uh, back then we had... Rugby special with Chris Rear on a or Nigel Starmer Smith back then on a Sunday, so an hour of highlights, and then the six, the five nations came around. So you had five, uh, five or six of those. So, uh, that's what I grew up watching. I grew up watching yourself, Moro, and uh, salt oh. salt for two weeks after Murrayfield <laughs> in nineteen ninety. Um, I remember watching Dino in, in in England colours. That's what inspired me, and he's still my hero. Um, and that that yeah, you know, I mean, I know it's obviously a different time. There was no uh, real sort of cable TV and Sky TV back then. But I think it'd be an absolute travesty if it. If it becomes a behind, block behind a paywall, um, it it, sh- it should be. It's, it's a as much of a national institution as Wimbledon. Um, every year, we, we uh, rugby fans c- congregate to either go to the games or watch them in pubs or watch them at home, uh, and they should do so in the in the way it has always been. Um, yeah, the only way we can make it better is we brought back Bill McLaren and uh, yeah, w- wanting for the old days. But I, I'm 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 really uh, yeah I, th- I understand it. You know, Sky and all these other companies, BT Sport, they they uh, they want to be in charge of it all, and, and you've got to pay to to view those things. But I'd I'd, I'd be uh, really really unhappy if uh, if if it was lost from uh, free to view. Uh, let me make this plain. I think that both BT and Sky cover rugby really well. I don't have a problem with that. Um, people can sell their rights, but this is the point for me. Rugby is not the national sport. It is not ubiquitous like football, and as such, it needs exposure as well as cash. It does need both. At the moment, you've got a compromise where the Autumn Internationals are on satellite TV with Sky, which brings a lot of money, and the free-to-air Six Nations brings in huge viewership. You know, when you're getting 9.2 million... Mm you know, for an England-France game, as against 
1.5 million for an England uh, New Zealand game on satellite TV, and that is arguably the biggest draw you could ever get. Yeah. Yeah. Then you can see that is the difference. And by definition, there are m- many millions are casual watchers who might take up the sport, who just dip in, who don't really watch any other rugby sometimes. Mm. Um, and we know that because if that wasn't true, rugby would be the national sport, and it's not, and we know that. You look at cricket's example, when they went off free-to-air in 2005, they announced a decade later record turnover, record profits, record investment in the game, and a near 30% drop in numbers. Mm. Rugby cannot afford to get this decision wrong because the consequences will be long-term. And to pick those up, even if it was reversed after, say, a three-year, the damage is done for whole things. I just say this as well. CVC, Capital Partners, they are an equity investment firm. They've no track record in rugby. Uh, the track record they've got in sport with Formula One shows that they take a lot of money out. Yes, they do add value in the sense of ratcheting things, but you've got to remember their global TV audience for F1 went down over a 10-year period when they were in charge because it went behind a paywall. And for me... The other point is this. They have got, potentially, if they do the £300 million deal, 14% share in the Six Nations, which is the same as everyone else, same as Italy and no one else. Um, So they're not a majority stakeholder. They've got 20% um, of the premiership, again, minority shareholder, only 2% over where they get minority shareholder protection under law. I don't know what their 120 million bought them from the Pro 14. But the point is this, they do not own any tournament. So why is rugby treating them as if they do own tournaments? Because they don't. If you wanted to, you could leave them in a liquid market where they could have no say at all. And frankly, if they don't get in line, that's what they ought to say to them. I can't understand why Brett Gosper of World Rugby saying, well, they're obviously a big player, therefore we've got to talk to them. When they, when they start to own tournaments, when they put enough money in to actually own tournaments, then, yeah, you can, when you own things, you can call the shots. But not beforehand. Not beforehand, you know, tail wagging dog and all these terrible cliches. And just remember this, they have no interest in this beyond money. And... Of course they wouldn't, because uh, that's what they do. And I, that, there's nothing wrong with that. But let's understand that. That's what they do. They won't have to pick the pieces up if this goes wrong. They won't have to deal with the long-term effects on the game. And frankly, they don't care, because that's not their raison d'etre. This isn't a sentimental thing. It's not about my or anyone else's job. Um, I earn more money from private you know, media interests. It's simply this, I do believe rugby has to have both the cash and the exposure. And at the moment, it's got both. I don't see any reason why that couldn't continue. Whether you swap them around, I don't know. But it seems crazy to me to take this chance because the detrimental effects of this could be absolutely major on Northern Hemisphere rugby and could be long-lasting. Why do that? If you're talking about an absolutely extraordinary sum, then it might be worth taking the chance. I still don't think it would be because I'm absolutely convinced you need the exposure because you need to um, inspire kids. They need to be seen on TV. But when we're not talking about that, and we're not, 
because they haven't put enough money in to even buy a majority share, then why even take that chance? That's got a quite staggering difference in viewing numbers. And I knew it was lower on, on uh, Sky than it was on Terrestrial. I didn't realise it was that much lower. That's you know, the BBC highlights programme yeah. of the England-Australia Autumn International got more than the live broadcast. <laughs> that's amazing. And that's with Sky, you know, and, and BT doing it, doing well. They don't, there's nothing wrong with their yeah. product. It's oh, very yeah, good. Same, yeah. It's just the absolute difference between free-to-air and uh, satellite uh, TV. Well, that's all we have time for this week on Brian Moore's Full Contact with The Telegraph. Thank you to my co-host, George Shooter, and to all our guests. I'll be back every Monday evening during the Six Nations, uh, whenever that may be. Could could extend to the end of the season, let's hope so. Um, you can get the podcast from all the usual places you get your podcast from. So if you've enjoyed this episode or any of our previous episodes, please do subscribe. Enjoy the weekend's matches, the ones that go ahead. That's all. And we'll... Uh, We'll be with you next week. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.